Well, it's always a blessing to be at Riverside Baptist Church. I, I love this church, love the people here. Let me say, if you're a guest in the services today, um, I, I beg you, come back uh, next week and hear Pastor Bill Marshall preach. Dynamic preacher of the Word of God. You will not be disappointed. And uh, I encourage you to do that. But I'm also looking forward to this week and trust that God has every one of us where we are for what we need to hear, what we need to do. And uh, I covet your prayers. I thank you for your uh, great hospitality that's been shown uh, already. You know, anytime you go into a different place and your surroundings aren't the norm or the familiar, you're always a little bit on edge. I'm no different. And this morning we started the song service and I was sitting with your pastor uh, back behind the uh, orchestra section over here. And I really, it was just one of those times, I don't have this very often, but it's one of those times I really thought something was wrong uh, because um, I'm just standing up there and I'm singing, but I realize over half of the church is staring at me. And, you know, that just makes you think, uh, something going on with my clothes here. And so I'm just smiling back and I'm singing, but I'm thinking in my mind, have they never seen a guest preacher before? Or is there, you know, is my hair, my coat, something like that? It really wasn't until I came out here that I realized that the words to the songs were right behind me. And you weren't staring at me at all. You were just uh, looking at the words and singing the song. And so I feel a lot more welcome than I did during the first part of the song service now that I realized it really wasn't about me, and it very rarely ever is. But uh, anyway, so glad to be here. Looking forward this week to what uh, God has for us. I'm going to invite you to open your Bible this morning to Hebrews chapter 2, if you would please. Hebrews chapter 2. And if you would please stand with me as we read from God's Word this morning. I want to make just a few introductory remarks, and I'll, I'll be quick with this. I understand that you're already standing. But in the first chapter of the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is laying out the idea that, that though the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, had so much respect for angelic beings, that Jesus Christ is so much greater than angels. That He is superior in every way. And He spent the first part of the... He spent the, the first chapter of this book designated to the idea that he even says in verse 14 of chapter 1, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister or to serve for them who shall be heirs of salvation? And so he, he relays that angels are servants, but to no angel at any time did God say, sit right here on my right hand side, like he did to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so that's why he says in chapter 2 verse number 1, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received just recompense of reward, and I'm going to pause right there to say that the Hebrews widely had received that angels were involved in God giving the Ten Commandments to Moses back on Sinai. And so the author of Hebrews goes along with that and he says, 
If you already believe that the word given by angels from God to Moses was steadfast and that every transgression and every disobedience received its just recompense of reward, he says in verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. Verse number 5, I'm going to call your attention specifically to the following verses. For unto the angels hath He not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him, talking about man, thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, For in that He put all in subjection under Him, He left nothing that is not put under Him. But now we see not yet all things put under Him. Heavenly Father, I pray that You'd bless Your Word this morning. And please, God, through Your Word, rightly divided, I pray that You'd have opportunity to speak to hearts. And Lord, may it be relevant to our lives today. May we be ready to receive truth from Your Word and apply it directly to our lives. And Lord, we know that if we do that and we allow You to do the work in our hearts that You want to do, there will be change. God, I want to confess to You this morning, and I believe I confess not only on my behalf, but the behalf of this entire congregation, that change does not come easy to us. And Lord, we often want to just settle in and we get comfortable where we are. But God, we are a people this morning who need change. We need to be stirred up. We need to be reminded of some things or taught some things. And Lord, we want You to do the reminding. We want You to do the teaching so that God, You can do the changing. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be surrendered to just whatever You want to accomplish both this morning and throughout the rest of this week. Lord, we just yield ourselves to You and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Here in Hebrews 2, he's still on the same idea and in the same line of talking about angels which were so revered by the Hebrew people. And what he stops to acknowledge here in the passage that we're going to look at, starting in verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 2, is that God's original work in creating man placed man in an authority structure that was a little bit lower than the angels. So if we're going to talk about if we're going to talk about God's authority structure, we know there's God and then there's angels and there's even an authority structure in the angelic beings as well that the Bible alludes to. But then man was created a little lower than the angels. So one thing the author is acknowledging here is that angels are real. He's already established that And it's not wrong for man to look at angels with awe and amazement 
and even looking them, looking at them as being above us because angelic beings are above us in God's order of creation. And yet, he says, that man needs to understand where his place is in God's original creation, where He put us. And so while man was made a little lower than the angels, man was also created above the rest of God's creation. I want to stop here, and this isn't exactly the message, but it's worth preaching this morning, to point out from a biblical standpoint that you are not an animal. I don't care what's taught in universities or high schools or science classes or biology classes or anything like that. Man is not an animal. I know we might share certain classifications with certain animals, but God created us above the animal kingdom, above the animal world. God created uh, the earth and things on this earth to be a habitation for mankind, to be resources for mankind's use, and we need to understand that because there's a lot of people that would like to uh, that would like to raise certain elements of God's creation above where God actually created them, and in the process of doing so, lower mankind from the position that God created him to be in to just be equal with everything else. And by the way, unless you put everything on the same playing field, then evolution doesn't work. And so the reason that they downgrade mankind to be an animal is to fit into the agenda, to fit into the teaching that we all came from some single-celled organism or something like that, and then some develop more intelligence than others and abilities and everything like that. The problem is, is when you start teaching man that he is an animal, man starts acting like an animal. And because of sin... And the presence of sin in our life, we already have brutish or animalistic tendencies anyway, and so we just fit the narrative on our own. But the reality is, God created us above that. God created us as a a special component of His creation. And I want to look back to Genesis chapter 1 for just a few minutes this morning, and I want us to see that where you're not taking my word from it, but that we can hear it from from God Himself. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, and and verse number uh, 24, the Bible says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after His kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after His kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. So I want you to understand, God had already created all the kinds of animals that would exist before he ever embarked upon his next aspect of creation. Where in verse number 26 he says, And God said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness. Listen, he didn't say this about any other item of God's creation. No other aspect of God's creation was created in His image or in His likeness. Meaning that God took characteristics of Himself and built them into mankind. Somebody says, does that mean that we physically look like God? We do not physically look like God because God doesn't have a physical appearance. 
He is not a man like you and I. Read the book of Job. He's not a man like you and I. He doesn't have physical limitations like you and I do. He's not to be assigned to any particular image of anything that exists, uh, either in reality or in the imagination. God is spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so if we bear the image of God... It's not in our physical characteristics because God doesn't have physical characteristics, but we bear the image of God in characteristics that are designed into us that only belong to God. For example, the Bible says that God created man from the dust of the earth and breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. You go study that, you'll find out that what happened there was that God gave to man a quality or a characteristic unique to Himself that every human being possesses by the nature of God's creation, and that is an eternal existence. God's the only one who's eternal. But God made man a living soul, which means that every human being has an eternal existence. We, we don't have an eternal beginning like God does, but we have an eternal future ahead of us in our existence, and we're going to spend eternity either in God's presence or separated from God by our sin. But make no mistake about it, God built into mankind His own eternity. When God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and and man became a living soul. God created man righteous as He is righteous. God is the only one who's righteous. God is, has been, is, and always will be the only standard of true morality that cannot be adjusted, it cannot be moved around. God alone says what's right and wrong, and God created man righteous as He is. And God also gave to mankind one more thing that only God possesses, And that is authority. Or what he calls dominion. Rule. He gave him control. As a matter of fact, it even says here in in Genesis chapter one twenty six, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. You realize God God is the ultimate authority of everything. God alone possesses authority and gives authority to whom He deems fit or or sees fit to give it to. God creates authority structure. Man does not. There is no power that exists or authority that exists that God doesn't ordain. We're told that in the Scripture. And when God created mankind, God gave him a type of dominion that is an image of Himself. It is not the same dominion. God did not give us His authority. I'm glad of that. I said God didn't take His authority and give it to mankind, but God did give mankind authority over other matters of His creation. Over matters in this life. He gave us authority or power or control and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And in this dominion that God gave to mankind, not only was there authority, 
not only was there a power over other elements of God's creation, but within this dominion was also the idea of free choice or free will. You know, when somebody has the authority, they get to make the choices. And God gave in this dominion man the ability to make his own choices. Now you say, well, preacher, I don't really believe that that man gets to make his own choices. Then you really need to read the Bible. Because the Bible shows us that God gave man the ability to make his own choices. And as a matter of fact, so that we would know what he was talking about in Genesis chapter 2, God shows us an actual exercise of man in using the dominion that God gave to him. And it's found in Genesis chapter 2 and verse number, uh, uh, verse number uh, 18. The Bible says, And the Lord God said, and, and married men, I'm going to give you the chance to get some points here this morning by saying amen. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. All right, some of you cashed in on that. Should have been a little heartier, I feel like, but uh, it is. Look, I'm, I am a man, and I'm just going to say it's not good that the man should be alone. It's not. It's not good, and and that's the words of God Himself. Take that to the bank. He said, "I will make him and help meet for him or suitable for him." And men, let's not act like we don't need help this morning. You say, well, I have dominion. (laughs) Okay, uh (laughs) uh-huh. You need help more than any of us, I'm going to tell you right now. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. I don't know if you see this or not, but this is an exercise in dominion. God causes the animals to pass before Adam, and Adam chose what to call those animals that God created. Listen, Adam didn't make the animals, but God gave Adam the choice to name the animals, and that's what they were called, watch this, including by God. So when you go on in the Word of God and, and God says something about a horse, God didn't name it a horse. Adam did. But God's using the result of the decision that Adam made. It's all throughout the Bible. I mean, every time God calls an animal by its name, He's not using the name He made up. He's using the name that Adam chose by the dominion that God gave to Adam. And this shows that, that there is there's a free choice that's going on here. And not only that, but, but here's how this factors into that. Because in Genesis chapter 2, before verse number 18, God said, there's one rule. There's one tree in the garden that you cannot eat the fruit of. So when Adam made the choice to eat of that fruit, he made that choice. He chose to do that. And when he chose to do that, There were some things that happened, namely this, there was a separation from God that occurred that was immediate. And in that separation, all of a sudden, the characteristics that God built into mankind that displayed His image 
were tainted by sin. You see, man is still eternal, but now man might be eternally separated from God instead of how man was created, and that was to fellowship with God eternally. Not only that, but righteousness was no more. Man was not righteous anymore. Man could not be righteous anymore. Man is a sinner by nature. Man is a sinner by choice. Fallen from the righteousness of God that we were created in and in need of someone else's righteousness if we're to ever be reconciled to God. Because our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, the Bible says. But here's another thing too. We lost our dominion. Our dominion changed. Not only was man now cursed by sin, but the earth was cursed for man's sake. So all of a sudden, whereas man did have authority, or can we just say it like this? If, whereas man did have control, man doesn't have control anymore. I'm just telling you this morning, if I walk out on my own into the Serengeti this morning and I come three feet away face to face with an African lion, I have no dominion to say, ah, nope, don't you eat me. That's going to be like a dinner bell to that lion. I can't, I can't say uh, to a copperhead curled up there by that log that I'm about to step, step over, don't you bite me. And the snake goes, yes, sir. Come on, we know this if we'll just think about it this morning. When it comes to matters of God's creation, and let's just be honest, when it comes to any area of our lives, we're not in charge. We don't have all authority. And here, here's what the author of Hebrews said about this authority that we, that we don't have. He said, for, for, for example, in verse number 5, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? In other words, Man is so fallen from God by His creation, we don't resemble anything that God originally made. What God set up in the Garden of Eden, uh, it's, just, it's just not there. And so anytime man wants to claim dominion, man has to remember this. We have fallen by our sin from our original creation, and we can claim to control nothing in our lives. i got to ask this then. Why is it that many times, most of us, if not all of us, want to live our lives feeling like we got everything under control. We've got this over here, and that's that's set up real nice. And then we've got 
we've got this organized over here. We've got that set up. No, no, you stay right there. You stay right there. And that's how a lot of us try to live our lives. Exercising a dominion that we don't have. Keeping everything nice and, and tidy and in control. And when we feel like things are actually in control, we're fine. You come into church and you got a smile on your face and everything's happy and everything's great. And it might not have anything to do with the joy of the Lord in your heart, but that you feel like everything is just really in control right now. But here's what reality has a weird way of doing. Reality comes in and says, you thought you had control, but you don't. This dominion that you thought you were exercising here to keep everything in your life neat and tidy and organized and in control, it's an illusion. And reality will prove it every time. Reality will bring us back face to face with the truth that we're not in control. That everything in our life is not subject to our authority. And that's what he says in the next verse. He says, he says in verse 7, Thou madest him a little lower than angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. And we read that and we think, man, that sounds great. That sounds wonderful. But let me remind you, that's what God did in His original creation. And He acknowledges that in just a little bit when He says, For in that He put all in subjection under Him, He left nothing that is not put under Him. But now we see not yet all things put under Him. You see what the writer's saying here? He's saying that's how God set it up in the original creation, but sin has messed that up. Sin has robbed us of that authority. Sin has robbed us of that control. What that means is we live in, we live in a life, we live in a world where often most things, if not all things, are not under our control. Things happen all around us. And if we'd have been in control, we would have organized something different. We would have set it up a different way. But how many things befall us day by day by day that if we were honest with ourselves, we would say, I had no control over that. And here's the scary thing. The scary thing is often we attach our hope to the feeling that we're in control. And so when reality comes along and messes things up and we're forced to realize that we're not into control, guess what we lose? We lose hope. We fall into despair. We get depressed. We start looking around at the world and we start looking at how, how messed up things are and, and we start realizing that, you know what? Um, because all of mankind is sinners, and because all of mankind has, makes choices on their own, 
Most of the time, mankind makes wrong choices. And wrong choices bring negative consequences. And they don't just bring negative consequences to the person that made the choice, but they bring negative consequences to anybody around them. And we take a good hard look at life, and I'm telling you, if we take a good hard look at life, it's scary sometimes. And we think, you know what, I, just, I can't handle this. I, I can't deal with this. If I, don't, if I can't control my circumstances, if I can't control my surroundings, if I have no authority over what goes on in my life, then how can I have any hope that my life is going to be worth anything? But the problem is not the lack of control. The problem is that we've attached our hope to an illusion. Because when reality forces us, we have to take a good hard look that now we see not yet all things put under Him. That's reality. Stated differently, now we see not all things under our control. Well, preacher, I'm glad you drove up here to tell us that. I feel so hopeful. I'm telling you, if that was the end of the message, there wouldn't be any hope in that. That's how, that's how much of a mess sin makes out of things. And I'm not just talking about Adam's sin, but our sin too. Because we could be sitting here thinking of all the times we've been victimized by somebody else's sinful choice and, and we were victimized by no control of our own. But if we're to be honest with ourselves this morning, other people have been victimized by our sinful choices too. We're not just recipients of the negativity of this. We are contributors to the negativity of this. Let's make sure we're all on the same page here. It's pretty bleak. It's pretty hopeless. We look around the United States of America today and anybody that, that is a rational thinker cannot look at our country today and say, I think we're headed in a positive direction. Because we're not. I'm not, I'm not being political right now. We haven't been going in the right direction for a long time. Regardless of who's been in office. The only right direction is toward Him. That has not been where we were going. I can't even say for four years our country was headed toward God under the leadership of Donald Trump. But we're certainly not headed there now. And what are we seeing? We're seeing reality taking place. We're seeing the negative consequences of sinful decisions all over the place. We're seeing crime on the rise. We're, we're seeing godlessness that abounds. It's not a pretty picture because without God, it never will be. I'll tell you one thing it is doing. It's forcing a lot of people who've lived a long time with an illusion to wake up to the reality that they're not in control of their own circumstances. And things are happening all around us and to us 
that are out of our control. And if you attach your hope to the illusion that you're in control, you are bound to lose that hope and fall into despair. Because, this is what he says at the end of verse number 8, but now we see not yet all things put under Him. Here's the hope. Verse 9, but we see Jesus. There's the difference maker right there, ladies and gentlemen. I stand before you a man full of hope this morning. But it's not because I'm in control of a single thing that's going on in my life. It's because I know this. I don't see yet all things put under my dominion or under my control or under my authority. But I don't have to to have hope. Because my hope isn't attached to my control or my dominion. My hope is the fact that though I don't see control in my own life, I see Jesus. That's what makes all the difference. And I'll tell you why. Because He is in control. He does know what I'm going through. He also sees what's going on in my life. He knows my circumstances. He's aware of what I face. He knows about other people's sinful choices. He knows about my sinful choices. He knows how it all comes together. But I'm telling you, He is a great and faithful high priest. He is one who has gone through this life and He understands what you and I are going through. And while I have forfeited my dominion by my own sin and the sin of the human race before me, there is one who came and was born of a virgin. That's still an important doctrine in the Word of God. It's important that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. And here's why. Because the seed of humanity is passed through the man. The sin nature of humanity is passed through the man. I am a recipient of a sin nature because I was born of a father and a mother and so were you. But when Jesus came, He came born of a woman, Galatians 4.4 4 says. He came born of a woman. Not of the union of a man and a woman because He didn't have the man's seed passed down to Him. And being born of a virgin and a woman only, He was able to be born fully human like you and I yet without sin. And He lived a life that was without sin. You say, well, Pastor, isn't death the consequence of sin? And didn't He die? He did die. But He did not die for any sin that He committed. He died voluntarily for the sins of the whole world. He went to that cross by His own choice. By His own decision. And guess what? He said, I have the power, the authority, the dominion. I have control to lay down my life and to raise it up again. And He never gave up His dominion once. He never gave up His righteousness. He never gave up His eternal existence. He never gave up any of that. And yet He died and paid the price for my sin. I don't have to be in control. Because I know the one who is. You say, well, aren't you scared about the bad things that are going to happen to you? Any bad thing that happens in my life, I deserve because of my sin. Come on, I'm just being honest with us this morning. And I deserve worse if we're going to be honest. 
I deserve hell is what I deserve. I deserve separation from God for all of eternity. And it's really, it's a matter out of my control. Well then, why are you smiling? Because I see Jesus? And He makes all the difference. Watch what He says here. He says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. That sounds just like man, doesn't it? That's because Jesus became a man. Subjected Himself even under the, the uh, level of His creation of the angelic beings to become a man. And as a matter of fact, He subjected Himself even further than that. Philippians chapter 2 gives us these details where it says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation, took upon Him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death. You see how low He's going here? But not just obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, which was the lowliest and most humbling death that a man could die. All the way back in Psalms, the the prophet wrote, Cursed is any man that hangs from a tree. And he died the lowest death of all so that he could pay the penalty for man's sin. And then by his own power and by his own authority, raised from the dead. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know what that means? He's in control. Full dominion. Full authority. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor. How? At His resurrection? Wouldn't you you say that was a coronation for Him to voluntarily die and then raise again from the dead by His own power? I think that was somebody saying, I'm in charge. Roll that big old heavy stone over the door. Okay, I'll let you do that. Seal it. Okay, I'll let you do that. Set a watch. No problem. Up from the grave He arose. No, no. Mankind is going to make the choices that man's going to make. Even when they're against God. God's got authority. God's in control. And that was proved by no greater experience than Jesus came out of that grave alive. And there wasn't anything man could do about it. And the same authority 
that Jesus manifested when He rose from that grave is in charge of our lives today. He is looking over the life of His children. He says that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man, for it became Him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Did, did you get that? The one who's in control is my brother. The one who's my best friend is my, he's in control. He's watching out for me. He's got a plan for my life. He's got purpose. He's got meaning. He's got fulfillment. He's got satisfaction. He is the Lord of all. And He is my Savior. I don't need to feel like I'm in control when I have Jesus. I want to tell you this story. And we'll be done here in just a minute. But When I was in elementary school, and there's funny parts of this story, but if you laugh too soon, you're going to hurt my feelings, okay? Yeah, that was it. <clears throat> no, I'm just kidding. When I was in elementary school, I played football. Most people laugh at that. Because, uh, I mean, I was a tiny little kid. And they put me as a wide receiver because I was fast. You might not believe it, but these little legs could move. And so they put me a wide receiver... And uh, I, I still don't understand this to this day, but there was a kid on the other team who had broken his arm, and it had pretty much healed up, but he still had his plaster cast on his forearm, and they let him play. And he was lined up opposite of me, and he was about twice my size. And uh, this was in the fifth grade. And so every time that my team on offense snapped the ball, he, he didn't care about what the play was or, or what, what the ball was doing. He would just stick this thing out like a cattle guard on the front end of a truck and run straight at me and try to catch me right under the chin with this plaster cast and just lay me out. So I realized after several plays, he's, he's playing his own game here. This is, this is not football. He doesn't care about the football. His game is squash little Joe. And you know, I didn't want to be a crybaby or anything like that, so I'd, I'd get up, I'd go back to the huddle, and then I'd go, go over and I'd, I'd try to get around him or avoid him or something like that, and here he'd come with that plaster cast, and just boom, bowl, bowl me over. And so finally, we got in the huddle this one play, and the quarterback, who was also my best friend, his name was Keith Chandler, and in the fifth grade, Keith Chandler was already pushing six feet. And he was big old kid, giant of a kid. And he was my best friend. And I hadn't, want, I hadn't wanted to be a baby or anything, but, but Keith looks at me and he says, you haven't gotten open one time this game, and I'm looking to throw the ball to you, and you're not even getting past the line of scrimmage. You've got to get out there. And he kind of gets on to me a little bit. And I said, well, Keith, I'm trying, but... 
this guy Aaron over here, he's just he's coming straight at me with that plaster cast and he's, he's knocking me down every single time. And he said, okay. He said, all right guys, new play. He said, uh, when, I, when I snapped the ball, I went by Jody in elementary school. He said, Jody, you, you take off from your position, you run behind me, and I'm going to hand it off to you. And you keep going. And if you're telling the truth that his whole game is to come after you and take you out, he's going to be right behind you. And I don't want you to worry about him. You take the handoff and you run for the touchdown. I said, okay. So, he snapped the ball. And instead of going that way, I took off back this way. And Aaron's right on my heels. And I take the snap... And as I take the snap and cut to go downfield, I look back just in time to see Keith hand the ball to me and then step right behind me. And Aaron's moving too fast. He can't even slow down. And this big old huge fifth grader, almost six foot tall, just walls up with his arms like this and goes, boom! And Aaron goes flying backwards. You really shouldn't be excited about people getting hurt and everything. But <clears throat> Can I tell you the rest of that football game was different? Because after Keith knocked him to the ground, I found this out later, he walked over to him and he stood over top of him. And he says, you mess with him anymore, you mess with me. And then he got up. And he, we were back in the huddle. And he said, don't worry about it anymore. Just run your regular routes. I said, okay. And I got to tell you, I walked down to the end of that line as wide receiver looking at Aaron like, what are you going to do? <laughs> I'm telling you, a hopeless situation turned into a lot of fun when I saw who was on my side. And when I realize there's somebody who's for me, who's bigger than who's against me. And I got to tell you, we don't see all things put under us yet. But it's okay. Because we see Jesus. And He's for you today. He died for you. He rose for you. He's seated at the right hand of God. And later in Hebrews it says, He ever liveth to make intercession for us. The Savior's for you today. You don't have to try to attach your hope to a false illusion of control. You can, you can just go ahead and admit this morning, I'm not in control. But that's okay. Because I know the One who is. I know Jesus as my Savior. I know that I'm trusting in Him. He's forgiven me of my sin. He's promised me eternal life in the presence of God. He's reconciled me back to God. He's promised that He will never leave me nor forsake me. You know what? I don't have to be in control. It's okay because I know Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.
Heavenly Father, I pray that You'd bless this invitation time this morning. And Lord, I don't know the hearts of everybody here in this church service. And I don't know how You might have spoken by Your Spirit and through Your Word to hearts. But Lord, I just ask You this. Lord, that if You have spoken to a heart, that they would be willing to respond. Lord, if You've talked to them, God, would You give them the courage to step out from their seat and come to this altar and talk to You about the very thing that You've seen fit to talk to them about. Lord, maybe there's somebody here whose life is characterized by worry and fear, by a constant compulsion to always feel like you've got to have everything in their control. They've got to control this, and they've got to control that, and they've got to control all these circumstances. Lord, I pray that You'd break through the illusion this morning and help them to see that the hope of a life worth living is not attached to what we control, but the One who is. And God, uh, if there's somebody here this morning who's never trusted in Jesus, to save them from the consequences of their sin, to forgive them of their sin, to give them eternal life, then Lord, I pray that You'd give them the courage to respond in this invitation as well. Lord, they'd step out and come to this altar and let somebody take Your Word in which You cannot lie and show them on the good ground of the Word of God how they can leave here today knowing that their sin is forgiven and that they have eternal life. Lord, I pray that You'd bless in this invitation as only You can. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand with me if you would please? And going to have uh, instruments play. Some have already responded. If God's spoken to your heart, would you come to this altar and spend some time in prayer with God? Some are still coming. Some are responding. How about you this morning? God saw fit to talk to you about something in your life. Would you be willing to come and talk to Him about it?